Hey friends, and welcome to a Deconstructor of Fun podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by Sophie Vo, who's a studio and game lead at Woodoo Berlin. Sophie has previously worked at Rovio, Wooga, and Gameloft, and she has over 10 years of experience from making free-to-play games. Now, you might know Sophie because last year she wrote uh, an article on Deconstructor of Fun, A Dream Team is All You Need. So this podcast actually goes back to that article and discusses her journey for the past year of building a dream game team. So I found Sophie's approach really, really interesting and very methodical. She's clearly been thinking a lot on what to do, what not to do when building a game team, when taking over a game team. So overall, this podcast is perfect for team leads, uh, for those who are aspiring to lead a team, and for those who are aspiring to be a founder, because I think I think the way she thinks about building a team is, is, is exactly how founders need to think about when they build their own companies. So without further ado, please welcome Sophie Vo. And by the way, give a shout out to Sophie. I think she's doing a great job as a head of studio in Voodoo Berlin. Really at Jam City, we want to treat the players first and foremost. We really care about their experiences. That comes down to ad quality and what type of ads they're seeing. So we want to make sure that the performance is there. A waterfall management does take a lot of time. The big drawback is the back and forth with networks, obviously the uh, analysis behind it, and not always is the juice worth the squeeze, so to speak. That was Kyle. Kyle is the Senior Director of Ad Monetization from Jam City, and he uses IronSource's platform to automate his monetization and grow game revenue. That is time that is really maximized and could theoretically be a 50 to 100% to 2x increase in overall ad revenue. Theoretically, Level Play just automates a lot of that. That is a huge time sink for a lot of our teams. Want to grow like Jam City? Get the SDK on ironslc.com. That's ironslc.com. We all know it. Mobile marketing is going through a paradigm shift. With the industry moving towards a more aggregate way of measuring marketing efforts, marketers' ability to measure and understand the impact of their marketing investments is further curtailed. AppSlyer, though, is not sitting on the sidelines. The company has set a goal to help their customers and the entire mobile ecosystem to successfully navigate the new era of mobile marketing. And that's where AppSlyer's latest product, the incrementality solution, comes to play. It's a product that truly empowers marketers to gain a better understanding of the real value that their marketing efforts hold. AppSlyer's incrementality solution is built around remarketing. It simplifies the process of designing, executing, and analyzing incremental lift tests at scale, which previously was something that only the biggest players on the market were able to do. With with incrementality, marketers can focus on the end goal of their test without actually having to worry about the heavy lifting that comes with it. To learn more about incrementality and to read the success stories from publishers like Kabam, I suggest you head out to appsliers.com. Good afternoon, Sophie. How's it going? Yeah, great. Uh, and you? Oh, well, you know, good, good. So I wanted to record this podcast because it's been almost a year since you wrote on Deconstructor of Fun, uh, a really, really, really good article called A Dream Team is All You Need. And you actually started a dream team, a game team a couple of years ago in Berlin. And unlike many, you approach team building in a very methodical way. Uh, so I wanted to kind of record and talk about that. And one of the interesting things that you had in the way that you started off your team is you started off with why, and that's the, uh, the Simon Sinek recommendation. So can you talk about this process of starting the studio and why did you start with why and where did that why take you now, like a one year removed from that point? Yeah. So it's true, starting with the why, I've, I've been highly inspired by uh, Simon Sinek and it uh, helped me to take a step back of um, even before starting the studio, uh, what kind of questions should I start with? And there were the question of how, what and who, and the why was the best one to start with. Uh, I would start first as a, as a lead because, you know, in the end, in our, our job as leaders in the 
building a team, there are many decisions you have to make every day, uh, micro decisions that will have big consequences in the future. And uh, having uh, your own North Stars where you actually know your values, uh, why you started the studio, why you are in games, uh, what's your vision, helps a lot to um, find the criteria when you have to make a decision. So uh, that was the first important point for me. And uh, on a team level, when you have a clear why, it's also reflect on how you make the decision, how you appear to the team, and it gives clarity. So that's very important when you want to unite everyone towards the same direction. Um, transparency. So as a lead as well, from the very beginning, when I hired people, I could tell exactly why I wanted to start the studio uh, inside Voodoo, what was my ambition, what was my mission, and they could uh, learn a lot uh, about me through this process. So it creates trust and transparency with the team. And at last, um, it gives for a team as well a shared goal and values where they can unite around the same thing. And when there are hard moments or decisions to make, they can refer back to this why, to this mission, so they can make decisions on themselves. Got it. And, and here's the thing, like you've been in games for a long time. You worked at various different companies, Gameloft, Rovio, where we met, and now Wudu. So you have a long career, and this is not the first time that you're leading a team. So my kind of question is, is this the first time that you're starting a team that you started a team with why? And if it is the first time that you started this way, like in this very methodical way, like what were the sort of a learning points that led you to start in this methodical? Because here's the thing. Normally when you start a team, you're always in a rush. Like, okay, we have to make this game. Let's go, 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 go. Let's hire good enough people <laughs> that, that can get us from A to B as fast as possible so we can show progress. But your approach is very different. So I'm asking like, how come you're now so like, I don't know if you were before methodical, but how come you chose this very methodical approach versus the typical, let's go, yeah, go, it's go. It's a good uh, point, actually. Uh, even I, I didn't reflect uh, that on my own career, but also for like most of my career before I started the studio, I inherited existing teams. So, you know, it's like a, it's like a family. You don't really choose uh, who uh, you end up with. And I had to work a lot with, uh, who the team was, the team members. And um, it wasn't bad to say, actually, were, we had a great work together. But for me, it was a limiting fat factor of uh, speed and growth. Uh, like you talk about speed here. Um, and I agree that at the beginning, you want to start fast. Um, but what I learned as well, when you inherit teams and uh, it's not um, necessarily the team you would have hired from the start when you create something for the long term. And uh, if you have people who are not exactly on par with the mission of what you're doing, or even in terms of culture and personality, it slows down everything. So it's really hard, um, especially for a high ambition project and in the long term to work and or I would say rebuild, refilter re the team, if I, if I may say this way. Uh, and I preferred actually to do the hard work, the work upfront this time, instead of trying to fix it on the way, uh, which is a never ending story, as you know. So it was a choice for putting a lot of effort and a bit like a compound effect, you know, like you, you put all the efforts as a lead and the foundations, but over time, I think get better, the team gets more autonomous and I have to intervene less. And this is the place I am now. I, I worked a lot last year to be on this team. Now I'm more on a cruising pace, if I may say, uh, because, uh, <laughs> because I have really, uh, you know, the right people uh, towards uh, this mission and really the right mindset. And uh, this, I, I wanted to take this opportunity starting from scratch to compose the team this way. Well, can you mention like some of the, um some of the challenges where the team doesn't share the why, like if you've inherited teams, so what, what is the sort of a tangible negative part of not sharing the why? Well, for example, and it can ha happen even before I, I join an inherited team, I have already team members who are not even sure they want to be there anymore. 
and it's visible when I come with fresh eyes and trying to rally the team around, I don't know, new goals and new mission as I come as a new leader. And um, it's uh, spending a lot of time on my end and energy to try to convince them to um, well, not buy in the, the vision, but also work towards this vision. So if they don't believe in it, if they don't care about it, and all they do, and uh, that's what I would call passenger, it doesn't do any harm, but it, it doesn't uh, put fuel in the machine if you, <laughs> if you see the analogy. And uh, it can also be very demotivating for the rest of the team, for the ones who are really excited about this new path or new way. And they're on par, but they see that they are so done by few other detractors of the team. So that are the consequences that can happen. And uh, in, um, in anecdotes I had, I had people coming to me in the team, in my past teams, uh, reporting me the behavior of people that they were really um, demotivated by that. They were anxious, they didn't know what to do. And so when it comes back to me, it's a sign that, okay, it's really bad. And I, I need to do something about it and not just close my eyes and say, well, it's fine. In the past, I thought it was fine. And I learned actually quite a hard way that it's not fine and eventually it comes back to you because it will affect other team members. That's a, that's, a, that's a really good call, what you're saying. And a lot of people who are listening to this, they probably can identify because it's almost an ego question when you're joining uh, an existing team and you'd be like, hey, I can show the way. I know what needs to be done. I can do this. I can motivate people. But in fact, there is, there is this team factor. And, and sometimes people, it's not, it's not about the individual. Sometimes, well, it is about the individual. Sometimes individuals are just tired. Maybe they've been working on this particular game in production for years. Maybe they've been in the company for years. Maybe they're just tired of, of this project. And, and there's really nothing you can do to, to invigorate them again. But the ego there is that the people and I've, you know, I've done this, the same thing, kind of believe that they can invigorate that, of course, uh, I can get everybody going to the same direction. So what you're, what you're saying is I'm kind of like analyzing in my head is, is really smart. It's just make sure that everybody who's on board is on board, not only as their name tagged on the project, but no, they're actually committed and they're willing to go the distance and, and the kind of like the first step should almost like with the existing game should probably be just sit, sitting with everybody down and saying, Hey, it's okay. If you want to leave now, this is going to be a hard road ahead. We're going to make a lot of turns. We're going to kill a lot of babies that you've might been, you know, working on, but I need everybody to stay who are willing to stay. And if you don't want to stay, just go now. It's much easier that way. Am I correct? Yes. All right. it's, it's hard to come to this conclusion. Um, but by my experience, you do a favor for, you know, both sides, for the people to let them go to maybe what they would feel passionate again into doing and uh, for the team and for yourself. Um, so I, I'm, I'm better at this point uh, of my experience to identify that much earlier. In the past, he was uh, having a lot of hope, but it, it rarely changes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so now we know why. Then the next step is, is who and what. So can you talk about like the next step of it? Because as, as I said, many times, and, and I know I've done this, it's, it's mostly the game teams focus on, you know, either they focus or prioritize the market. So this is an opportunity. We should be doing, I don't know, a merge game because merge game is such a hot thing. So we have to do it and yada, yada, yada. And they go into who can make the merge game and that is the what. Or it might be, you know, based on the team that the team is playing something and it's more like inherently what they want to do or the capabilities of the team. So my kind of question is the who and what and did Voodoo set a target other than casual games for, for your studio and how much that sort of a target swayed the who and the what? Yeah, so when I have to think back of a, a year, year and a half ago before I started the studio, um, and I was in contact with Vodou to uh, open a new studio. It was really, I would say, a blank slate. There was not particular criteria or market to target. So it was casual games, which is quite broad. Um, so I, I, I knew that I had to think actually of the risk I was taking um, in the team I was also forming around this very vague, uh, broad uh, goal. And um, I identified as well risk. Let's say I hire teams that can make puzzle games. <laughs> and then we find out that we 
won't make puzzle games a year after and I have to, you know, re redo the studio, uh, let go people, hire people again. So I, I wanted to actually uh, really go broad into hiring and instead of focusing too much on the market, of course, I had to go with uh, a certain um, segment of the market that is based on my own experience because this is a value I bring as well as a studio lead. So excluding, for example, Midcore in that case, um, looking more for the mindset and personality. So one thing I knew from the beginning that I needed a certain mindset where people are aware that we might change a lot on the way, that we will have to find a way of working in this uh, environment that Voodoo, it's, it's, it's not a typical company, Voodoo. And I think this is what is the strength as well. A lot of ownership, a lot of freedom, um, but also then more responsibility. And uh, in the qualities I was looking for people was uh, growth mindset. So really that ability to adapt, wanting to learn all the time, being really passionate about that and not just, oh, I have to grow because of a situation I, I love. I love growing. I love learning. I love changing because that's who I am. And um, important for me as well that people I would uh, hire love to work in teams. And uh, that is not a given. Some people are, really want to be the star of the team and, you know, the savior. Uh, but that wouldn't work for a team because it's very small, entrepreneurial, and I expect everyone to uh, be uh, full of initiative, but also building things as a group, you know, together. And uh, what I'm, uh, I'm, I'm listing now is the, the values I set even uh, before starting the studio, but I put part of a process when I hired people. And uh, one was uh, also intellectual humility that I put also in the article. And what I, I meant by that specifically is I believe, especially when building this team, we needed to create new products, be innovative. And I believe it comes a lot also from the diversity in the group, a cognitive diversity. And I really wanted people who can handle differences in the group. So not just having a narrow um, way of thinking and be threatened by different viewpoints. So people who can embrace um, the fact that people may uh, disagree with them or argue to get to the best solution. And at last, I wanted also a studio that was very player-centric and not uh, people having the wrong expectation coming here, oh, there's a new studio starting from scratch and making the games we dream of making. And here I, I made it very clear from the beginning we are making it for an audience, casual audience, it is very likely not you and me. And are you committed to create the best experience for others and not you. And that was one of the criteria as well in hiring process. Um, I can maybe also go a bit uh, further about um, in the hiring process, I was not looking into only individuals. And you mentioned about that. Like a, a team is not just individuals, but it's a group by itself. And I was uh, really paying a lot of attention in the composition of the group. So the first person joining was setting already a reference for the future ones to come. So for example, for developers, I had to look into the composition of uh, skills I had in the team. So not only architects, but very hacker prototype uh, profiles, a mindset who can really hack things. And I, I have ha found actually uh, very good developers who can do things really fast. I have never seen that actually in my own normal developing uh, teams and casual. But it was important to have someone like that, for example. Um, in the art uh, composition, I went, this is where I took a risk, but I think it was worth it. I didn't hire anyone that came from free-to-play casual uh, mobile industry as artists. They came from um, more indie backgrounds uh, or console freelancers, but really a unique style and art and way of doing uh, things that I thought could build that, that level of novelty in the product. And uh, a year after, I'm really happy that I made this choice because this is very visible in the result of the product. But that was a bet. I, I, I didn't want only, you know, all the uh, experts of industry from the typical studio, you know, like Rovio, King, Playrix, etc. So uh, they brought that, that level of creativity in the team. And the uh, same when it comes to cognitive diversity, I was really looking at the different type of personality. So making sure that I don't have too many, I don't know, 
people who are more in the introvert, like head base, really, you know, in their world, but also having people who are more on the extrovert side, um, different types of personality who are more challengers, uh, debate, like to debate on others that are more, I don't know, perfectionist or enthusiast or peacemaker to keep a certain balance in the team. And uh, we did uh, actually end of last year, an Enneagram test in the team where we saw actually we were quite different profiles. So there were overlaps and certain dominance in the team, but we had almost every type in the team. And I was uh, really happy about that out of uh, 13 people that we have a very diverse and balanced team and we push each other to a certain level of excellence thanks to our differences. And uh, then to uh, what, after I had the group of people and uh, to your question about um, how, uh, how we decided on what to work on. With, maybe, uh, maybe Sophie, even before we go to what, let me ask a couple of questions about the, sure. uh, the, the team and, and the who basically. So you talked about you know, starting from ground zero in, in Berlin. So you moved from, Ber from Helsinki to Berlin uh, and that's where you started studio because before that you were working at Rovio. So I'm asking about that in terms of, wait a minute, you worked in Berlin before Helsinki, right? Yes, at Ruga. You moved back to, to Berlin. So the question that I wrote here is, is um, as you're starting from sort of a blank slate, did you bring anybody who you knew from before or did you just decide to, to truly start from the blank slate and, and not even have, you know, quote unquote, like friends or, or a core team when, when you did that? Yeah, it's, um, it's a very good question because I asked myself actually when I, I built the studio, would I go look for my friends? And I, I realized quickly, I, I built my own company as well in the past, nothing to do uh, with games. It was a fashion mobile app, but I learned the hard way as well. But it's not because you onboard your friends that you have necessarily the right people uh, to, uh, you know, execute uh, your uh, the mission vision you have. So I was very careful about that at the beginning when I started from scratch to not fall into contacting friends and just having friends uh, just for the sake of having the people I knew. So I was really looking with distance about what I needed. And then when I became more public and visible about who I was uh, looking for, uh, who I was hiring, I reconnected uh, with my network in Berlin and talked about what was the mission uh, I had for the studio with really the open mind, like, are they interested in, in, in that or, or not? And then the people who were actually uh, sticked and, uh, and continued with me. So to your question with the people I knew, um, so my, uh, the person I, I uh, named uh, and promoted as a colleague during the year, uh, Marco, he was my uh, very close product manager at Buga. And uh, we worked really well together. We, we fought a lot back in the days. So it was a good sign that we could work in a sometimes difficult situations, but we would always uh, manage to find a solution and the best one. So I had a lot of trust um, there and he would be a great fit for this adventure. And uh, during the year we stayed good friends, but it never crossed my mind that we could work together again and that happened and uh, it was uh, it was great but it was more an opportunity and timing than okay i'm i'm starting something and i absolutely want to work with you again no matter what i do and uh, so it, it happened more by opportunity and the rest i think uh, i would say half a good half of the team was by network so people i um i knew through other people or people who worked as well in the company. So I have another one, uh, Nick, that you know as well, uh, from Uga, but we didn't work together. So it was really, in the end, more being visible about the culture I was building, uh, what I was going for, the ambition, and for the ones who were really drawn to that, it became quite natural. But it was not a hard criteria uh, from the beginning to just go for the people I knew. Uh, I wanted to stay away from that, exactly, to not be biased. Uh, maybe this, yeah. That's interesting because that's that's not typical. So usually you would go with the known. I, I, I think friends is a wrong word. I would say with the known people. So ex-colleagues and so forth, because, uh, well, again, it's faster. You've probably worked together. Uh, you know what they're good at, what they're weak at, and they kind of understand you quickly. So that's typically how a lot of studios get started. 
is just a bunch of people who know each other and they kind of bring more people who know them and that's that's how they grow but you had a very very difficult very different approach and that's said very methodical so yeah i mean it's 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 definitely interesting because when i'm thinking about from my own perspective of course you know done similar things and doing similar things it's it's always um in, in the back of my head is, is thinking about the key core members of the team, like the tech, like, for example, I'm not a programmer. I don't know. I, I can't lead programming. You know, I know what needs to be done. So I need to have that, that rock of a, of a, of a programmer of an engineer and hopefully like a director level person who can actually build a team and scale a team because, you know, um, you can oversimplify, you can get some people who are really fast and I don't mean by any means your team, I, I'm talking about my own experience who are really fast, but, uh, as soon as you get out of the prototyping phase, they end up being unscalable. They, their code is, is just not the type of thing that, that you can build around. And they're actually not that good even working with others, but they're excellent problem solvers and just, uh, hyper good individuals. And, and if I don't have a good technical person next to me, I just can't evaluate whether that is the case or not. And same thing kind of goes with the art department. So that's why I'm, that's why I'm essentially asking, asking the question. Um, another, another point that I wanted to ask is, was it difficult to scale up your team? You know, given that you have Voodoo as a, as a name, um, I would assume that it's easier uh, because Voodoo is a, is a, you know, a leading company, one of the biggest probably free to play companies in, in Europe. And, you know, for sure, the most downloads for, for, of players in, in the world. Um, but Voodoo has very, you know, it's a hyper casual developer or a publisher. So um, how did that affect you scaling up a team to build something different that Voodoo hasn't done before? Yeah, um, I wonder how much Voodoo as name has helped, uh, at least uh, in my case, in the sourcing, because even in the casual space, I don't know if uh, mentioning Voodoo at first as known as a hyper-casual company was necessarily an argument, you know. So it's true when we opened some position, we had a lot of profiles that were really uh, into hyper-casual uh, games and uh, pace and not actually a fit in terms of profile to what I was looking for. So I could say, at least from my experience, um, most of the team members really came through the network and uh, this is one of my points as well, that uh, it is an advantage when you have built your network over years, when you start your own studio, that uh, you become visible, people know your values, people know you, and they can recommend to you someone who would be a great fit because they know you. And that's how I get uh, most of the team members. Uh, each time I wanted to scale or hire, it's, it became easier and easier now because the team is bigger. And they are their own network, you know? So each time we uh, are looking for someone, like these days, it takes maybe one or two months, I think, to find really, really someone that is a great fit for the team. And it's through the network uh, or recommended by others. And um, that has helped more than actually the name of uh, Voodoo, mm -hmm. I would say. Okay, that's, that's excellent. Um, how about um, how about mindset? So you mentioned you know the growth, the cognitive diversity, the player centricity. How do you test the mindset of these people who are joining your team? So we're as I was mentioning in the article, there are really uh, like methodical steps I was taking during the hiring process. And for me, what has been important through the whole process is to stay consistent with these steps. And um, the first step I have for any. Um, uh, start of the hiring process is an uh, interview, um, like phone screen at my level, where I have a set of questions that I've been consistent with, like through my hundreds of interviews now. And over time, I get better to identify, I would say, certain um, uh, flags I can see through either the answers or through the way people answer or even through the questions, the type of question they ask or the focus of the questions. So that's the first impression already. And uh, we have a test, usually part of interview technical test, but I don't know how much it tells or shows about the culture. Um, I would say what is important then is the series of interview that happen um, with different people who are either the ambassador of your team. So for me, it's important to um, 
have team members. Uh, you know, these days with remote, I would love to have just someone coming to the office. We spend the day together, and I think this is the best way to know. <laughs> but these days, remote, I, I, I had to find a way to hack it uh, with just uh, calls. So it's a, a series of interviews with different focus for each interview step and with different people. And for example, I have a team interview step where they're really focused on if this person can work with them. Uh, then there's a culture interview step, which is really more culture focused and like maybe done by the team uh, people out of our team. And the technical interview is another way, you know, to see as well how the person thinks. And then we, it's like a puzzle, like we yeah. have more information. And then at the end, that's why I never um, stop uh, completely on a no, because when there's a no by a person during the interview process, it shows that there's something we um, don't fully understand or know yet. So it's just a sign that we should investigate more. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can find a reason why there could be a certain behavior and it's explained and this creates trust through the process. So the person say, yeah, okay, I was insecure at that moment and I behave that way. And it's like, wow, okay. For the interview, somebody really uh, could reflect, apologize. And you know, like, it's like, I, I wanna work with this person because yeah, we will make mistakes, but they own it and they have been reflective. And sometimes that have uh, saved actually the application when went through it, it's a drawing together we see if it works and we are very honest at the end is it working or not and we see the behavior and i give you a, it gives me actually a good example here where i had situations where sometimes people wanted to join and they wanted to join with a certain position in mind like i want to be joined as a senior or i want to join as a lead it's like i explained from the beginning uh, first to be a lead you need to have people you work with you cannot just join as a lead and I don't have enough people uh, that you can lead anyway. And um, same for seniority is like you, we don't think you are there. And sometimes people have really good reactions to this. It's like, okay, I take the feedback. I know I have to learn. Nobody ever told me that. So I'm, I'm open grow. You made me realize I can grow. And some of us like, oh, okay, well, you don't know my value. Uh, ciao is like, well, ciao on my end as well, you know? So sometimes creating this discussion. So it's coaching through hiring. I, I would say almost it's coaching through hiring where I would give a feedback to the person, say where we are, our doubts. And how do they react, respond to the doubts we have? That's, that's really interesting. Uh, that's, um, okay, good point. So let me ask you this. I mean, the way I see, I see a recruitment process always as a funnel. So you can invest into the beginning or you can invest into the end. So what I mean by that is you, in, you seem to invest a lot into the screening and into going through all the steps. How many, have you, have you kind of like looked at how many people do you end up terminating during their trial period because assuming that you do such a good screening in the beginning you don't have to go to the uh, the unfortunate part of somebody being terminated during the trial period so out of uh, 13 people uh that i have hired over a year um no one i i, I didn't have to part ways with anyone during the probation period um, that doesn't mean that uh, there was uh, we parted ways at some point later after mm -hmm. a year. Uh, however, during the probation period, we could always come to so the people could get a, a clear feedback or where they needed to improve. It was expected, and as long as there was trust and there was a commitment on the other side to really uh, grow, then there was no reason to stop at this point. So, yeah, I didn't have to. Yeah, that's that's good because a lot of the. Um, there are a lot of companies and, and um, it's quite typical to just say, well, you know, good enough, clear skills, pass the technical part, wasn't total asshole, we had dinner or lunch or whatever it is, seems to fit the team and we'll figure it out. <laughs> that's, that's, how, that's how I've seen usually it go. And then there's, oh, <laughs> it opens up a significant risk of that, of that three month uh, point where you're having a discussion like, listen, um, you're really not delivering on this and this and that. And, and, um, and it ends up with that termination during the trial period. So good to hear that, that investment into the early part of the funnel is paying off uh, in, in the future. And of course, everybody's aligned. So uh, do you want to talk about the what of, 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 your, of your journey? Because you know, we, we've covered the who now. Sure. So about the what, it was um, 
like I said, when uh, I joined Voodoo, it was really broad. So I, I, I wrote it down, actually, uh, remembering back in the days, but it was entering the casual market uh, as Voodoo and leveraging the strength of the company, basically, which, which was very broad. So behind that was, OK, identifying first. So when I, I arrived, actually, I spent my first month really analyzing the company, identifying the strengths, understanding the processes, what was making the DNA of the company, even before I could say, oh, let's get there uh, as a team uh, on the strengths without understanding the strength. And um, entering casual market, of course, then it's quite broad as well, because uh, I know how to make casual games. But uh, as Voodoo, probably by elimination, there are maybe not all the games. So um, one thing we agreed uh, from the beginning, and I think that was uh, more of a way we, we worked as well inside Voodoo, so it's very entrepreneurial. Uh, sometimes I, I see it as um, a bit of a, is it more incubator or accelerator? So we are on our own, basically. And when we show tractions, then we will be accelerated to growth. And that's kind of a relationship I, I saw a bit uh, at the beginning, where we didn't have a lot, so much constraints or guidance uh, where to go. So I, I had to do the exercise, OK, us starting a studio, um, what can uh, we be the best in the world, if we can, uh, as a team, as this team at Voodoo, and on the market? And uh, I looked at the profile of everyone in the team, including myself. What are our strengths? What are our, what kind of product can we create based on our strengths, uh, based on Voodoo strengths? And making the overlap of all the, you know, if you know this exercise where you take different circles and you see where the overlap, and then this is where we, as a team, decided to commit in this direction where, okay, maybe casual uh, games, casual audience, because we are like, we are ex-Wugas, I am ex-Rovios as well. Like I, I know very well this market. I know the audience comfortable with that, ex-King as well. Let's go in, in this audience, no question about that. And then looking at Voodoo's DNA, trend, there's really uh, a methodical process as well on how to test uh, effectively a lot and really a, a hacker mindset, I, I would say like to, to get to your answer without building the whole thing. And this is very refreshing after having worked in casual for such a long time, where sometimes I think we overdo things more by uh, habits, tradition, instead of taking a step back, like what do I need to prove at this point? And how can I build this in a few days or week max to just prove uh, that it's worth uh, going for? So that's how we built our identity as a team where we could deliver a game that is fresh based on our strength, a product in the casual market, but has also the velocity that we can afford with the mindset that we saw in the process, uh, testing process at Voodoo. And uh, like I said as well, my uh, our team is a non-traditional uh, free-to-play. So they came with really fresh visuals and a way of approaching uh, visuals differently. I haven't seen many games like uh, as we produce uh, that way. So it, it's it was part also of how um, we decided to go in a certain direction. Like 3D, for example, was more of a strength of the team. So at first I didn't know, for example, 2D or 3D products, the style uh, and our first games were more on 3D because the tech and the skills of the team were more aligned to, to representation. And then we tested fast. We saw if there was traction, there was traction and we continued in the direction. So that's overall how we approached it was by exploring, trying, testing, correcting and continuing when we saw a big attraction. That's so, okay. So, so you basically used the, uh, the voodoo strength of, you know, bit more testing and scaling. That seems to be the, the strength of the company because they're getting so many downloads, um, probably like 2 billion a year. So, all right. Uh, and that, and that helped you to validate um, or kind of like de-risk the, the risk you took with the artists because you took a very iterative approach and that was able to guide the art towards the right direction instead of going to indie, but just indie enough to stand out from the, uh, from the market. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um, so as I, as I kind of like a step back and think about your process of starting with why, going, you know, how and what, it's, it's very much the process of building a company. And nevertheless, you're working for a company, uh, a very big and a very successful company. So 
what I'm trying to ask is like, how did you align with Voodoo's values, values and mission? And how did the company support you on your mission of building team values uh, that are in some way probably different than the values and the mission of the company? Yeah, like talking about values for um, Voodoo, one, I think after after that time at Voodoo, I can, I can really say one really important and the most important I have seen in execution is the value of ownership at Voodoo. And uh, this is uh, where as well it's reflected in how we build the studio. So I had a lot of ownership on who I would hire, how I would hire them actually, and uh, how we would work. So we have never been um, constrained to use a certain engine, a certain tools, a certain framework. Uh, it was all like really our decision on what uh, to decide what's best. So that's, that was quite open. Um, and uh, in terms of uh, the other values, so Voodoo has six values. I can um, quote them here. So as I mentioned, first one, ownership. Uh, we have helpfulness. So it's really about the behavior to each other, um, to not, like you said, assholes, to not be assholes to each other. Uh, delivery is a very important one I've seen as well. As you see, like Voodoo has a lot of uh, prototypes per month and a lot of games that are published per month. That is one very lived by the company. Excellence, uh, uniqueness, and think big. And when I joined actually Voodoo, I was also part of, a, like myself, uh, when I, I get through the hiring process as a candidate, um, these values were tested with me. And when I look at these values, I relate to all of them. Uh, I, I am, the way I see it is like I support them. I am uh, doing actions or, uh, I would say ambition towards uh, these values. However, they are not necessarily uh, the values I have in my core that I think every day I wake up in the morning uh, because they are not my natural ones and that uh, guide my decisions. So I would say for people I hired specifically in the studio, if they are really um, doing having actions or belief that are against delivery or helpfulness, this is not going to work. Uh, neither for me, neither for them in Voodoo. So this is more a filter in the hiring process to make sure that you don't have a counter behavior to these values. But then on the team level, like I said, I have uh, the values I have uh, mentioned that are the most important ones because a team, as a team, we are really uh, making decisions and having our actions on the team level. Uh, it's not like every day we remind ourselves we are part of uh, Voodoo as a big entity and it's not very um, uh, concrete to us, especially with the remote work. So the values we have particularly in our team are the most useful ones because they are the ones uh, that reflect our actions, our decisions, our behavior to each other. And from there, I created the team handbook. So I, I, uh, I talked about in the um, other talk that is really the manifesto, if you want to think uh, of it this way, that really guides the team. And Voodoo, I would say, as a company or my, uh, you know, um, boss in that sense, are not necessarily looking into that, checking it, or even, I would say, at this level, it's really a level of detail that they don't care about. As long as they look more on the high level, as long as the job is done, and then we are respecting the values of the company. So that's the way we work. So it's kind of my internal cooking that has, uh, doesn't uh, inch collide with the Vodou values. That's that's really cool. So so you, okay. So you basically created your own onboarding and kind of rule book for for your team uh, to to guide it in a way that that you want it to be guided. Okay, yes. that, that makes all sense. And kind of mirroring that to your background, which, which you were talking about, that you inherited teams and it was really difficult to maneuver those teams to go for the vision that you've set. Now you've started from the beginning where even down to the manual, of like this is how we play. And if you want to be a part of it, this is how we move forward. If you don't want to be a part of it, then we wish you best of luck. In your yes. Okay, that's, that's really smart. So essentially what you're talking about is like autonomous team. Uh, almost like a, like a cell, if you will, uh, in many ways. So, so how would you recommend for others to try to do that in their company setting? Because from an executive level, 
what you're doing is good because executives strive for decentralized command where the decisions are being made on a team level. Uh, and that, that way they don't have to micromanage and everybody's just aligned on the common goals. But at the same time, these common goals, they, they work in a way that sometimes you need to make sacrifices from both individual perspective, meaning that if you want to work on this certain game, well, I'm sorry, but this team is now the focus down to even team levels where sometimes certain projects are certain teams are just more important. So certain teams need to be cut or stopped for us for a while so that the people can move on to that team so that they support the company as a whole. So how do you mitigate these type of um, these type of elements? Because in the end, Voodoo is only interested or any company is only interested to being successful as a company and not as interested in the success of individual teams or success of individuals per se. Of course, those are important and that builds the overall success of the company, but sometimes prioritization have to be made. And in my personal experience at, at several companies, I've seen that to be the most difficult part when somebody tells you and says, Sophie, good job but this project of, I don't know, Peter on the next side of the, of the, uh, of, of the studio, it's priority. He's a little bit ahead of you. The KPIs are really, really promising. We need, we need 70% of your team uh, or, or your whole team. So how do you, how do you kind of set up um, how, what I'm trying to say is like, how do you set up the team mentality to function also in the sense that while we are here, we have our own playbook, we have our own vision, we have our own mission, but there still uh, might be something bigger that changes everything. Mm -hmm. At least I think one of the myths or the challenges to keep also a team motivated, uh, because we all have a, the dream of, you know, where you have a full freedom, you do whatever you want, however you want, whenever you want. And um, I, I would say like uh, behind like the, the idea of autonomous team, to have autonomy, you need to understand uh, where you have ownership, like your circle of competence, uh, basically. And I think as a lead, this is really important that you define and clarify that as much as possible, as concrete as possible for the team, where you have ownership and where you have less. And this is part of the ownership to have autonomy. Um, for us, uh, as a studio inside Voodoo, we have full ownership on really the who and the how, uh, to be honest. And I have much more than any company I've worked at, to be honest, uh, whether it was Review, Google, or even Gameloft. Um, but uh, one big constraint we have, and that was set from the beginning, is on the what. Because after all, we are part of a company that has a certain direction, uh, a strength as well, and leverage of the market for hyper casual. And uh, I want to approach this also on a pragmatic way. I It would be silly for me to say, hey, tomorrow I want to make, um, I don't know, narrative, uh, full narrative gains in a company that doesn't support that at all. Uh, I can try, but my life will be very, very difficult. So the way I think about it as well and uh, training the team or trying to mature the thinking in, uh, in the team is let's look at what we can be really the best in the market, uh, not just strength inside the team, but in the company and leverage that to have really a multiplier effect. So it's not like we don't have freedom on what we want to do, but is it reasonable to do anything? You know, and is it really, are we set for success when we just have full freedom on the what? So we work, even whether it's Voodoo or us, we work with a lot of constraints on the what and, uh, I um, said it clearly from the beginning when I hire people, so they don't have the wrong expectation that they come with, um, with the ID, there's a new studio fresh. Now, now I don't have anyone to tell me what to do. You know, we, we, we all strive for that. When we go for a new structure, we, we want to make it better and we want to make it our own. Um, but I think it's, it's a more a matter of, of wisdom and maturity in the industry that at the end of the day, we always work for someone or for you know some organization in a company this is very uh straightforward but when you create uh, your own thing and you have started to have investments you have uh commitments 
to investors, to whoever invested in you. And uh, we work in a very competitive market. So it's, you cannot say that you can go for whatever you want and make a financial success and please investors. So I think it's more a pragmatic thing that is, does it really exist to have full freedom anyway? And it's uh, uh, maturing more of the teams to accept that thinking. And if you have decided to be part of this industry, free to play, I mean, mobile, it's very competitive and it's not so much about what you do, but how you do and who you work with. And if you love these parts, then you enjoy the rest. But be clear, it's not where you will have a full freedom. No. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. Freedom is, um, it's, it's a very different uh, context to understand. It's, it's kind of silly that we live in an industry or we work in an industry where people think that they can they can join a company and do whatever they want. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, you have to sell what you're doing and get support for it. And after that, you get the freedom to execute what you have sold to be executed. Uh, all right, let's talk about something that is very um, important right now. And that is, um, you know, the lockdowns and how do, how do you continue building a culture while being socially distanced? And how do you manage of keeping everybody motivated? So I think, I think the question here is also, how many people did you hire during the lockdowns that kind of never went to the physical space? And how, how difficult was it to integrate those people as a part of the team that had been physically together? Yeah, I had two steps of, uh, of building the team. So a majority of the team I have hired before I knew there was a lockdown, of course. Um, and it was uh, beginning of last year, I had nine people joining early March in Berlin. And I was, I had really my master plan of, you know, like the offsite, we would do all the team events and to, just to build trust and a certain culture on site. And all these plans collapsed uh, actually when the lockdown happened and I had nine people joining in March and we were in lockdown the week after. So I, I had to uh, revise my plan and strategy because I, I was not planning for that. Um, uh, but then about, uh, I thought about what makes a team and tr again, trying to hack my way uh, there with the circumstances. And um, there are several, I would say, factors that keep a team together or form a team together. And the, my investment on the why actually at the beginning was really then even more important because I was repeating the vision, what we are, were doing and why like every week to every month so people really understand why they're here when they're sitting at home and wondering like, am I, did I even join a studio here? Why did I move to Berlin? Uh, you know, reflecting on these questions themselves. So it helped for them to remember why they were here, why they joined. And uh, a second factor in a team is um, this, uh, having trust and a sense of belonging, which is really hard to create, uh, to be honest, while remote. But I'll give some example of how uh, we speed up the process of creating trust and fellowship. And uh, the last factor is really in terms of competence and as a team, as a group, you have a sense of progress and achievements. So these three factors about having a shared why, um, sense of belonging and a sense of progress. This is what I turn basically into the exercise of building the first uh, stage of the studio. And that turned into the first months, we did a game jam, like a long game jam where I broke down the team in three teams. We were nine and we would release at the end of the month, free, publish free games. So it was uh, jumping in and that was part of the whole onboarding. That was an experiment by itself. But what I was trying to create here is that I don't wanna be the one leading and uh, managing how socially the group will form but let it happen and create more of the environment in, in the context and where it will happen. So we had a delivery uh, to achieve by the end of the month Then the team had to self-organize and form. So the, the team formed on the first day, like not knowing each other and like, okay, you can do this, but okay, you are, we are a team. And, and then we selected product as well in a very, I would say, uh, opportunistic way. So I had a backlog of concepts and ideas. And if I wanted to pick from there, and then started to execute. And I think this has helped a lot uh, as many teams in a team to first understand who were people through the work quickly instead of like digesting materials of onboarding or the typical thing. Also uh, creating situations where they would develop more trust because uh, at some point they had to stretch uh, to deliver this. 
And uh, then at the end, when we actually managed to deliver and put on the store free games, that was the first month of existence of the studio, there was a sense of pride and achievement. Like, okay, we did this and we have never done this in our previous companies or organization. It's, we didn't think we were capable of doing that. So that started to form the team a lot by achievements and, uh, you know, this, uh, uh, like, yeah, the, the game jam setting. And one of these products uh, out of this prototyping phase uh, became the one we actually converged and uh, pushed to soft launch and so on. So it was like the, the experiment was forming the team while forming the studio. And uh, that worked uh, quite well in the end, um, at least to, to help the team having the sense of a team uh, while remote. That's a really good tip. I mean, it's, it's probably a fantastic tip for anybody to to spend a, a month on essentially prototyping and actually shipping those prototypes because nothing brings people together than, than shipping. That's, so yeah, it would probably boost a lot of things, not only the feeling of, of being part of something new, but also working effectively together because you're only in a team of three and you have to figure it out. That's, that's smart. That's really, really good. I hope a lot of, a lot of studios take note of, of this one. And it, so it's, it's also a precedence of, of how fast you can work because there's a, such a such a clear timeline. All right. So um, you did a lot of hiring as you was talking about and you went from motivation and the second part was values and the third part was skills. So that's how the priority of, of, of your hiring. So how did you figure out that the person has the values before hiring? Is it those long conversation that he had in the uh, and kind of like in your recruitment process where where everybody was assigned to figure out different things about the candidates. And um, the second part is like, what is a good motivation and, and how can, how can you kind of overcome the pressure of hiring somebody with skills, even if they don't quite fit otherwise. And when do you know you have to let go of a person and what is the best way to do so? So a lot of questions in the same, same realm. So, you know, however you want to tackle it. Yeah. So in the order of, of things, I think you said it right, like there's motivation is really the first check, like do, are they looking for the same thing? And this is what the phone screen uh, interview is uh, made for. It's like if we are not looking for the same thing, it's not gonna, going to work. And then after motivation are aligned, uh, then the values, which uh, I mentioned how there are ways to test it. And actually it's also not through the hiring process that you look at the values. But it's uh, after you onboarded someone, the way you onboarded, the way the, that person also integrated the team, the way they take feedback when they need calibration, which I mentioned more in details uh, a bit later. And uh, yeah, how the others uh, perceive the new uh, member, team member, uh, to see the value. So it's not something you can see in, of course, in hiring process only, it takes time and takes time and experience. And to the question as well, how to value skills versus motivation and values, I would say uh, if you haven't had in your career experience one painful experience to know what it is to have someone in the team that has excellent skills, but really not the values, and then you had to deal with a situation for longer than you wanted, I think it's hard to it's hard to rationally tell yourself, I will never compromise uh, on, the, like, on the values over skills. So I have had the experience in the past where I had people who were, who were really, really good, excellent, and I really wanted to make this work. But no matter how hard I try, it just was not working because we were just looking at different ways, you know? And it's not worth it, like uh, worth it, especially you know, so yourself, we have so much to do on a studio level, like your eyes and your mind are everywhere, like in people, in the products in strategy, or when you have to also fund the, fund the studio, you don't have time, like your time and your attention is very expensive. And when you put it 80% on making it worth on one person, you realize it's, it's never worth it. Because you do it at the cost of all the things that you have to hold and uh, drive that are the, the team that is still young, the direction, the first success you're building. Um, and uh, by experience, I have actually hired some people who by the skills, there were some questions. Uh, so for the studio, they didn't have necessarily experience 
in mobile or free to play and would they adapt but i have uh, been proved a hundred percent each time that when you have people with the right mindset the right character for what you're building adapting they learn really fast and exponential way compared to the people who are already sort of excellent but are capped by their growth and i'd rather have someone who's maybe not there yet invest in the time a lot at the beginning and then less and they would grow very very fast and very far rather than people who are good where they are they know they're good but they maybe don't want to grow and and this is hard especially in the setup of a small team so it's it comes with experience and again i i don't know how you could hack it to have your own painful experience but it's worth making the mistake, trying and see for yourself and maybe come to the same conclusion that I'm sharing here, but it's based on experience. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I do agree. It's, it's always, it's, it's difficult, like I have multiple different experiences of, of working with various type of people and some people are really good, really talented and might not be a perfect fit and, and there's always that I don't know. It's almost like like you feel that that it would be great to to have the help of that person to get you to the next phase, and then you you kind of tell it yourself that we'll figure it out what happens after that. Maybe maybe they will they will become a better member of the team, or maybe we'll have to part ways. But at least that person will help me to get to that point. But that's very short thinking. So um, yeah, I understand that. So final question that I have is you know it's been a year since you wrote that piece of building your dream team. And the question is, of course, have you done that? Have you built your dream team? And how do you measure your success in, in this case? Yeah, so I'm really happy to uh, say that I have built my dream team. I'm super happy uh, of the team I have. So we are now, actually since today, uh, 14 people. So we have a producer who joined. Um, and uh it's been a very nice ride. Last year was very difficult in many ways. I mean, we were all at home. Uh, I was also um, not sure of how much we could deliver and ship in these circumstances while building a new team and studio. Uh, but I can say like really how I feel about the team, and this is maybe more uh, my personal definition of the dream team, is that I really trust every sing single individual in the team. Like really trust uh, that we are will help each other, we hear for each other, that they, they come with the best intention and passion to really make it happen. They believe a lot in the mission, what we're doing, and uh, they love what we're doing. So I have full trust, I can go to bed every night with a you know, good peace of mind. That's, uh, that's one big uh, gift. And uh, on top of that, it's not just about you know, like feeling good of working with people, but we get a lot of things done. Uh, to uh, throw some numbers here. Uh, like I said, on the first month, we shipped three games. Uh, we built, I don't know, six prototypes during the year that we tested here and there. We uh, brought our first game in soft launch uh, under four months of production, so as a new studio. And then we are, now we're still in soft launch and we uh, validated really like the tractions and the numbers we needed to, to have confidence in uh, bringing forward to global launch. And that is for me just all the win uh, that I, it's, it's really hard. And uh, on the first title as a studio, we killed many on the way. And I would say even in the game that we pushed, we killed it probably three times because it has changed a lot. Uh, but then I'm really happy that we, it's, it's, a, it's a group effort and we managed to do this. And I don't think I would have managed to do this this way in uh, an other environment and with other people. And uh, maybe more on the on the heart side of what feels like really working with uh, a dream team is uh, that I have really a group of uh, entrepreneurs, very passionate people, and they come up with solution and initiative that surprise me each week. It's like I, like now it's like the ball is rolling. It's like the flywheel effect. It, it's just happening by itself. And I was like, oh, when did that happen? I look back. Okay, new initiative here to just make things better. And I really look forward to the, uh, this year to see where we will go uh, with this team and this mindset. And uh, to answer your question as well about the success. So that's my definition of success, what I just described. Um, but I, I know as well in, in the eyes of the world, and it's important sometimes also to look at tangible uh, things. 
it's the things that I, I share with you, like the fact that we we pushed the game in a soft launch, but I would say has a scope that I would have probably taken a year or more than a year in an environment like my previous companies just to ship what we shipped. So this is already just a win and for the KPI we have uh, had. Uh, so that are the tangible, um, I would say metrics of uh, what has been the success for us. And in terms of team, I can say as well, maybe uh, uh, team metrics that uh, I talked a lot about diversity and I'm really happy of the diversity I built in this team. Uh, we have out of 13 people, 11 nationalities. So it's quite a, <laughs> it's quite a mix. And also um, really from different backgrounds. And uh, that is my personal so, uh, win that you have been able to create such a diverse team and really talented group. Um, and yeah, I think uh, I think that's what comes to my mind. And no, I, those are great points. I mean, that's I think what you really underlined of the successes. I would wholeheartedly agree with that, and that was that you feel confident with everybody in the team and you feel at ease where you can start looking forward instead of worrying about how to keep your team, you know, functioning, how to keep it going together rather than thinking about like, what's the next step and how can we achieve that, that hill? So I think that's one of the key elements of success when being a, a leader. So I think, I think you've achieved success. So based on that, um, yes. As a final question, do you have um, do you have any openings that you wanna you wanna you know tell people on this podcast in your team because you've been talking about your team for for a, for a solid hour now and I think there's a lot of people that would be interested in joining. Sure. So we have uh, two positions uh, open, but I, I so we have open one for a developer, but I like I said now hiring is going really fast because I think we gain visibility as well, uh, in, especially in Berlin. Uh, it might be closed already this week, so I opened it like, uh, I don't know, three weeks ago. So it may not be available by the time you listen to this podcast, but um, we are looking for also an artist, a free artist to join our team and growing like towards the, uh, the soft global launch of the game. And uh, for now, not looking to scale too big. It's really incremental. You know this as well. It's like really as we gain more confidence towards a global launch and see how to scale the team. But for now, we will stay this size. That sounds perfect. Thank you so, thank you so much, Sophie. Uh, it was, um, it was, I think this, this uh, teaches a lot of people a different way to approach it, that it's not always smart to rush into things uh, to try to complete it. But sometimes the methodical approach, the so-called so slower start gets you faster to the, to the uh, over the finish line. Mm -hmm. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks everybody for listening.